Okay, so we have a special guest on our podcast today. Her name is Dr. Catherine Clark. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. Young, oh my goodness. <laughs> so we have a, I, you know what? I was so proud of myself no, because I was like, no, no, I'm going to say her, her the name. So we have a very special guest today. Her name is Dr. Catherine Young. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much, Liz, for having me. <laughs> so excited to see you again. Feels yes. like we're being reunited. It is. Um, Catherine and I knew each other because she was the awesome postdoc that everyone wanted to be in my lab when I was mm-hmm. a lowly graduate student. Well, it was <laughs> a wonderful time, and I'm so glad that we're seeing each other again after so long. So long. I yes. get to tell her about what it's like being a PhD student. Um, no, I'm no longer a PhD student. And now know. we get to talk. Like Now you are me, <laughs> what I used to be. How does it feel? Um, I know why you were so happy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, that, that really is a funny thing, though, because as soon as I graduated and as soon as I became a postdoc working in a lab, I started to understand you and a little more. Yeah. And your advice made a lot more sense. Yeah. And I mean, that's the crazy thing. I got tons of advice from people, from postdocs, like you and David Enfanger. Right, <laughs> like, And right. I'm thinking about what you guys used to say, and and I would try to do it, and it was mm-hmm. just so hard, mm-hmm. and now I get it. Like, no, and now I'm it. thinking like you guys, so yeah. that's really amazing. Well, it's just a different, different part of life and your journey in your scientific career. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to be faced with different obstacles and challenges, and I think that maybe that advice kind of will kind of set in and, and kind of be more realistic in this realm of a yeah, postdoc. And it definitely helped me get through. So, Catherine, why don't we start? Is it okay if I call you Catherine? Of course. Catherine? Okay. Yes, please. Catherine, would you like to start by maybe telling me telling us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Just very generally. Sure. So, um, I was actually born and raised in South Africa. Um, I moved, immigrated with my parents to, to the United States when I was 18. Oh, um, wow. I didn't know that, actually. You didn't know that. No, I mean, I knew you were from South Africa. <clears throat> yeah. I didn't know when you came over. Yeah, so I, I went to college here in the States and then um, got my PhD in biomedical sciences mm-hmm. and then uh, continued with a postdoc at Cornell where we met yes. in the Chris Schaefer lab. Um, and then from there, I decided to change my trajectory slightly and went from academia into the world of science policy doing a AAAS fellowship, yes. uh, where I was placed at the Department of Defense and did uh, two and a half years of amazing things. And then from there, uh, just recently in January, got a job as the Science and Pol- uh, Innovation Policy Advisor for the British Embassy. So wow. continuing work within the policy realm. Well, this makes a lot more sense because we were trying to connect a few weeks ago and you're like, uh, Brexit's happening. I, yeah, exactly. So Brexit <laughs> arrived and, and yes. um, really kind of. Uh, was a very challenging time at the embassy for us, but uh, in a very busy time. But yeah, uh, we're moving through that. So that's so amazing. It's such a great trajectory, or an interesting trajectory that I hope we're going to talk about a little bit more. Sure. So, um, why don't you tell me about why did you do a postdoc, and what were some of the influences you had in terms of um, deciding to do a postdoc? Absolutely. So I think much like a lot of PhD students out there, I 
was a little unsure after I was um, getting closer to graduation that I wanted to stay in the world of academia. And luckily for me, my PhD advisors, um, one of the, some of the best advice they ever gave me was to pursue a postdoc. Mm -hmm. And their reasoning behind it was because no matter what you do after a postdoc, that experience is going to be so beneficial to you. It doesn't matter if you go into education or if you continue in academia or if you go into some completely different field. Um, it was that that kind of experience will stay with you for for any career after that. Um, and they were absolutely right. Did you think they were right right at the time? At the time, no. <laughs> I did not want to. But I'm so glad I listened to them because. Um, uh, being a postdoc provides you with different experiences um, in in terms of gaining scientific skills. Um, it, it puts you in a position of a little bit more of a leadership role. So oftentimes as a postdoc, you'll have PhD students working underneath you mm -hmm. or undergrads. Um, so you're learning managerial skills at the same time. And, um, you know, all of that together really just elevates your work as a PhD mm. student um, and prepares you for the world out there just a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was very, very um, grateful for having that postdoc experience. Yeah. What were some of the reasons why you initially did not want to do a postdoc? Partly because I didn't think academia or, or being in a, a lab doing bench research was what I ultimately wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't really want to prolong that even oh, longer. Yeah. Um, and But, you know, looking back at it, it's not just about doing the the bench work. Mm -hmm. It's about creating and uh, experiencing and gaining additional skill sets, and I think that was very, very benefit. You know, very yeah. evident for me during my postdoc years. I can see that it does feel like a disconnect to think I don't want to do science at all, or not science. That's different. But I don't want to do bench work anymore. So why should I be doing a postdoc? Exactly. I mean, yeah, I could see that. Exactly. So for me, science has always been kind of an underpinning thing in my life, and I, I've always known that I wanted. To have science in some capacity in my mm -hmm. life, I just, I think as you, as you move through your journey, you start to realize that sometimes that particular path is not the way you want to go down, and you need to look at some other things. Um, and for me, uh, going through my PhD and my postdoc kind of solidified that that was not the direction I wanted <laughs> to go, <laughs> and so I needed to move on uh, to do something else. And when did you start? Think, realizing what you wanted to do. So I think I was very lucky to end up in Chris Schaefer's lab mm -hmm. uh, because Chris did a, a AAAS fellowship. That's right. During my, my time but as a postdoc. Right. right. So faculty. he did a one-year congressional fellowship. Okay. Um, and really having, I think, an advisor who was open to uh, different experiences was very helpful because mm -hmm. it really opened my eyes to, well, what else can I do with a PhD? Um, and it was a very exciting time for me because I, I realized that there were other things out there that I could use all of the scientific training for, but in a different capacity. Mm -hmm. And so that was what made me uh, start to look and think very seriously about applying for the AAAS fellowship. Okay. So it wasn't at the time of applying to the fellowship, you didn't really know what you wanted to do just yet, only that it wasn't science. I mean, sorry, it wasn't bench work. Exactly. But you wanted to still be science. Correct. So I think that's a very challenging thing for a lot of people, <laughs> especially, you know, I, I, I'm always in awe of people who have 
um, a very clear direction in their life. So, you know, they know from going from point A to point B, they know how to get there. And they know that point B is the end point that they want to get to. Mm -hmm. I've never really been that way. So I've always gone through life a little kind of a a long, curvy, windy (laughs) journey, which... um, at, at some points, I always used to think, well, this is not a good thing. But looking back, I don't think it's a bad thing. And oftentimes, by having different experiences, mm-hmm. it really weeds out the things that you don't want to do and often presents opportunities for things that you do want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's kind of still continually honing down on what it is at the end that I am ultimately striving for. So the AAAS Fellowship, even though I didn't... You know, I knew that I didn't want to do bench work. I thought this was an excellent opportunity to really discover something else, mm-hmm. still using my scientific background, though. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking about how hard it is for me to even distinguish what I want to do. And it's harder because I, I like to think about things. And I like to, in some way, plan. But you can't plan for something you don't know. Exactly. And then, so how do you know you're going in the right path if you don't know? And then maybe there's also this misconception that I I had at least, which was that you had to be some, there are some careers that if you don't do something at a certain time in your your trajectory, you're never going to get to that point. Exactly. And I think now I'm starting to realize it's not exactly true. Right. Like if I didn't know I wanted to be a science writer in the first year of grad school, by the time I graduate, it's all over. That's Mm -hmm. not really how it works. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's how it feels. It does. It does feel like that at the time. But I think what's important to remember is that through all of these different experiences you might do, that you're just gaining different skills that you can use potentially in any job or any career. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, sometimes we forget about that, that um, that we need to be doing X, Y to get to Z. And, you know, that's not always the case. Yeah. You can do, you know, G, J, and K, <laughs> and still gaining all those, those, those skill sets, mm-hmm. and then do something totally different after that as well mm-hmm. um, but I think the the important thing is is to not be afraid of new experiences because kind of what I alluded to before it's sometimes those experiences that truly open up either new opportunities or discoveries of, of what it is that you're passionate about or what it is that you don't really care about mm-hmm. and so you were doing your postdoc yes you were applying to fellowships right and then you got interviewed and things went well for the AAAS, which I will say it's the advancement the American Association (laughs) for the Advancement of Science. Great. This is a particular fellowship uh, geared for uh, students who either have a PhD or postdoc experience. Um, And what it is is basically they place you as with somebody who's a scientist in um, a government office so Mm -hmm. that you may learn about the policy world. And at the same time, because it's such a dearth of scientists in government right now, they get the benefit of having a highly skilled, trained scientist working for them, providing them with scientific information and potentially um, coming at uh, problems from a little bit of a different angle. So it's a kind of a win-win yeah. situation for and that's both. so true there. I think I'm, I could be blanking on the numbers, but less than 15% of Congress I think have science degrees. I maybe think it's even, even less than Maybe that. 15 the number, not even the percent. Exactly. I know it's some incredibly low it, number. It is a very low number, and I think it's a very disconcerting thing that we have such 
a few number of scientists in positions where they are making decisions on the behalf of the rest of, of us as a society mm-hmm. um, because those are the people that really would benefit from the scientific understanding of a lot yes. of the big issues that they're facing to yes. make major decisions on. And this mm-hmm. is a big, you know, to me it's a, a big concern. Yeah, I was, uh, I think it was 2014, I did a AAAS case workshop oh. and this was a pilot program, I was I was in the inaugural year, okay. and it was to introduce graduate students to science policy. So they took us to D.C., and we awesome. got to walk around, and uh, I forget her name. It's been so long, but the lady who actually um, mentors all of the incoming senators, they mm. all go and they talk to her. She's been here for 30 years, okay. and, and it was just interesting just walking around and seeing her. And I remember one of the things she said is, like, People don't realize that Congress, in a way, is being run by 23-year-olds fresh out of college because those are the staffers who actually do all the research that ends up going up the top of the the totem pole. And also because it's cheaper and it's easier to actually give them these assignments of, like, finding it. But there might be a disadvantage to that. So true. Absolutely. But it's just really interesting because I don't think people think Congress and go kid out of of high school, not high school, but out of college. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. and the yeah. same could be said for again the science aspect. People are making these decisions, and they aren't. They don't have all the all the information about the science, but they are giving you know facts about birth control. I was actually just thinking about gun control and how there's no no research about gun control, mm-hmm. which is a tangent. But I often think you know it would be so great if we could do gun control research because you would. I think be able to make better laws that benefit that everyone might be able to like right to right. figure out like how do people go about getting guns why do they do this why do they do that anyway absolutely that's a tangent so I apologize <laughs> for ruining no your interview with so what was the internship like did you pick the Department of Defense so, is that where you were yes so I was placed at the Department of, of Defense in the Threat Reduction and Arms Control Office and basically it's a matching a matching program mm-hmm. so you go and interview you rank the places that you were that you interviewed at and at the same time they rank you mm-hmm. and they match you in a particular office um, this was my top choice so I was really thrilled to get placed there and honestly it was it was a life-changing two and a half years um, I worked very closely with a lot of um, big biological global events so for example Ebola mm-hmm. was wow. um, right at that time uh, during my stay there and I got to travel to Liberia and actually be a part of the whole Ebola response from the Department of Defense. Um, I also got to travel to countries that I would never have ever gone to (laughs) otherwise. Like what? Like where? So I went to Uzbekistan, I went to the Republic of Georgia, um, you know, these these wonderful Armenia countries I would I would never go to otherwise and so that alone was just amazing but our office worked um, in biological threats and uh, also trying to increase biosafety and biosecurity for countries who were doing research with um, dangerous pathogens and so we tried to um, help secure the pathogens um, in case of a an event of terrorism where they wanted to gain access so to people it. are doing research but may not be able they're either not protecting the people exactly. who are using it as right. well as they could be right. or it's too open exactly. and someone can come in and take it for their own purposes absolutely so securing facility yeah exactly 
Right. And so there's a lot of, you know, people don't think about it, but there's a lot of research being done in a lot of, for example, the former Soviet Union countries Mm -hmm. um, where they don't necessarily have the facilities and the capabilities to keep things very secure. Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes they aren't educated to the level that they should be working with those pathogens. So there is another way that we could potentially facilitate that type of research for them by um, by helping them in that capacity, and so it was just it was just a phenomenal experience. Yeah, and I was so lucky to have had it. And aren't those uh, the AAAS fellowship? Is that normally one year? It's normally two. Years. Okay, it is. Well, I take that back. It is one year with the potential to extend. And obviously, year. they're like, "We want you back." Oh yeah, <laughs> well, I was like, "Please take me back." <laughs> um, and and then, like, please take me back. <laughs> and then I actually was lucky enough to stay on for an extra six months beyond mm-hmm. that. So it was a total of two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And so, what? Um, how did you transition roles from there? So, yeah, so um, so I think, so being a AAAS fellow really solidified the fact that I wanted to stay within the science policy world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that was one of the reasons why it was such a great experience for me. Um, and I think one of the issues that potentially PhD students or postdocs may have Um, when looking at different jobs available to them if they don't specifically want to stay in academia is that the policy world tends to like um, people who have a little bit of policy experience and that's Mm -hmm. what the AAAS fellowship affords you is that open door to getting that policy experience. Okay. So for me, once I had a little bit of policy experience combined with having a scientific background, I was able to um, be selected for my next job, Mm -hmm. which was at the British Embassy in the science policy realm. And Um, what does it mean to have policy experience? That's (laughs) exactly... Can you answer that? Like your head almost exploded. Yeah, no, it really did. Um... (laughs) You know, it, it, it's working in an environment where you are contributing in some way to bigger policy changes that are occurring within the government. Um, so, for example, I was working in the bio, biological security realm, mm-hmm. um, and we were working very closely with, say, the policy office in the Department of Defense, making those decisions as to how, how can we facilitate those countries. Um, with the Ebola outbreak, we were part of this, the decision making for how can the Department of Defense help and, and provide support for Liberia and Sierra Leone and, and the countries mm-hmm. that were affected. So you're very much a part and learning the process of the decision making process. Okay. Um, and that is what a lot of policy is about. Okay. And as a scientist, did that, um, did you, did it kind of add on to you, the way you make decisions as a scientist, or did you feel like it was a different skill you had to learn, and maybe a little bit of what you your training had fed into that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I think working in the government is a whole different beast. It, it's, <laughs> you know, they have their own language, they have their own writing style, and so it's it, there's a lot to learn from that process. But at the same time, coming in as a scientist and having those critical skills, you mm-hmm. know, the critical thinking skill set, and and being taught how to write and being taught how to communicate your science to potentially a lay audience are skills that very much helped uh, in the policy world because you are drawing from those skills all the time and Mm -hmm. I think it was so 
uh, important to have had a very solidified foundation of all those skills coming in being mm -hmm. a scientist. So if we could, let's go back to the, the postdoc thing. Sure. Because I, I remember this one time uh, there was an NIH panel and they came to Cornell and there there's a um, a 15-year professor who was doing a stint in the NIH for a few years. and mm -hmm. So there are people from various backgrounds as people who make panels like to do. Yeah. It's a good thing. Right. And I remember leaving ang a little angry, uh -huh. you know, just infuriated because... I had, there are these faculty members saying, you know, in order to do this job, you need, like, you need to have a postdoc. You need to have a few years. Mm. I remember thinking, how is a postdoc in neuroscience going to train me to do policy? Mm -hmm. And just kind of feeling upset that, that I needed more, mm. that I still needed more to do this, and I couldn't really figure out whether, was it the job market that made it more? Was it that there's so many postdocs out, PhDs out there that having more education mm -hmm. was causing this kind of swell? Mm -hmm. Or is there genuinely something in the postdoc training that made you better for the job? Yeah. So I think as a PhD student, you learn the basic skills in the field of science. So you are presented with a project or mm -hmm. you help you know, compose a particular project, um, you're involved in, in um, collecting the data, writing your thesis, and defending that. And you come out with, with a certain level of, of skill sets. I think get, having postdoc experience takes that skill set and just bumps it up to the next level. Mm -hmm. So um, you now are being able to formulate your own um, study designs by yourself. You are basically, you are managing a team. You are, um, you have so many more responsibilities that you didn't have as a PhD student. Um, you are often, uh, even though a lot of PhD students do this already, you are often, uh, your PI might be reliant on you getting your own funding. So you're, mm -hmm. you're writing grants a lot more and, and, and those types of things. So I think it really is just, um, adding those extra levels in those skill sets um, in your postdoc. And, and those are so important for the next career step you take. So it's about the independence. And it is. A lot whereas about graduate students, are some of them may be doing those things already, but right. they weren't doing them independently. Right. And now as a postdoc, it's assumed you're independent and you're more independent than you were as a graduate student because exactly. now you're also separated from your former advisor. Exactly. And oftentimes you're in a completely different area that mm -hmm. you weren't in. So, you know, it, it's a whole... So you're not only learning new things constantly by being in a completely... Sometimes a very different uh, research area, but you're also utilizing those skills you learned in your PhD um, and just and just emphasizing them even more mm -hmm. within your postdoc yeah. um, time as well. Yeah, I would say that was the most mentally challenging thing for me. Mm. Um, graduating, I think I also had this image in my head of, um, I'm, I've worked all these years, PhD means something. And I think even for my family, I think PhD had always meant social mobility for me as well. Okay. And so I guess to graduate, and, like, I made it. I did it. Right. 
there you are, right at the back bottom of the totem pole again. And I know. Just thinking, like, really? Did I did I make it? Did I make anything? Or what do you mean the PhD is zero ex- work experience? Right. You no, know, this is, I know. And it's I feel tough. the same as, as a college graduate, under, yeah. undergrad, who comes right. out and has no experience. You have to start all over again working. Um, you, you get... Yeah, it just it was it was hard for me to understand, and also I don't think I was I wasn't told, mm. so I didn't understand what it meant to go to the next level. Right, it wasn't easy, and it wasn't it wasn't. Not that anything is easy, but as an example, I don't think people get told that hey, it may take you six months to a year mm-hmm. to find a job. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of people who start applying and they think this should be simple or right. more simple, and right. it's not because the way things work is different because the PhD was a bubble. And I like to, I, w- I always like to say that I was, you know, more enlightened than mm. other PhD mm-hmm. students, and so to have this kind of enlightened kind of ego (laughs) and then get out there it's like nope still dark yeah I think I think you bring up a really good point and for anybody who's listening who might be coming up to graduate with a PhD is that and we were kind of we kind of touched on this in conversations before this but Mm -hmm. that you have to be extremely prepared um, to move on from your PhD if say for example you're you're going into a postdoc because those interviews can be very challenging. Mm-hmm. They um, they demand that you put forward your best knowledge and your best performance, mm-hmm. and you have to give a really good presentation. Um, you basically have to sell yourself to your p- potential postdoc advisor. Um, and sometimes people aren't really trained for that particular aspect um, in their PhD program, and a lot of people can find getting a, P- a postdoc um, challenging because of that. So, mm-hmm. it, like you said, it might take six months to a year, and a lot of people coming out with a PhD might automatically assume that you have a secure job waiting for you because you have that level of education, mm-hmm. and that doesn't guarantee a job at the end of the tunnel. Um, it so doesn't, and people, yeah, I think that's hard for people to understand that having a PhD does not um, negate the job search that is 2016. Absolutely. At all. And, and certainly not an Ivy League degree. That's another layer, um, at least for, for me. Um, they You assume that coming from a great school right. is going to propel you somewhere, and that's not as much the case as people want to hope it is exactly so you have to be as prepared as you possibly can um you have to do a lot of homework as to what labs you're interviewing for to Mm -hmm. make sure it's the right fit for you 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 have to know what type of questions to ask your your potential postdoc advisor as far as the culture you're getting into the type of environment the, Mm -hmm. the work environment the research environment um so it is a lot of preparation to get to that next next level but i think once you get there like you said, it's almost like you're starting back from square one again, mm-hmm. even though you have a PhD um, in in your mind, if, especially if you're switching mm-hmm. research areas, you're, you're, yeah. you don't have that level of expertise that you did coming in knowledge-wise. But you, I think we what we sometimes do is we forget that because we live in this little isolated bubble, research bubble, that we still have gained so much from that PhD program and we have so much to offer and I think even though we might be starting over from level zero again we can um, really rapidly ascend Mm -hmm. much quicker 
than what a PhD student can coming in at the same level Mm -hmm. because we have all of those, that knowledge and skill sets behind us already. Mm -hmm. And so it is a much quicker ascent up um, from that level. Right. And so we're talking about things a little linearly because we know what fellowship you did and other things. But when you were applying this, what other things did you... um, much in the same way that I was talking about some of the frustrations I had with look, looking at for postdocs. Did you? What kind of frustrations did you have? What was it like going through the process for you? So I, I had a little bit of a challenge given that my husband mm. and I were looking for postdocs at the same time. Yeah. And so we needed to find postdocs in the same area, um, hopefully at the same institution. And we were very, very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, and I think I was very lucky to have had a lot of um, guidance from my PhD mentors as to you know how to prepare for a postdoc interview. And my husband and I were very, very fortunate to both get postdocs at Cornell. Um, so I didn't have a lot of particular challenges mm-hmm. getting the postdoc itself. Um, I think for me, my biggest challenge was because I switched fields, even though I, w- I still remained in the brain, which was kind of the yeah. the common thread for me between my PhD and my p- postdoc. Um, it was a completely new area, doing new yeah. surgical techniques, um, new, new lab environment. You know, it, these are the challenges anybody faces when starting a new job. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it can be quite daunting at times. But it does take a little bit of time. But after a couple of months, once mm-hmm. you've settled and got your feet kind of grounded, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a great experience. Yeah. So what was the transition like from now you're you're out of the bench yes. and you're in the policy? Yes. Was that an interesting so transition? So different. Because, you know, we're so used to, like, going into the lab every day, putting on our lab coat mm-hmm. and doing experiments, which is what takes up our time 90% of our our day um now all of a sudden I basically had a desk job where I came in and sat at a desk all day mm-hmm. which was a very odd thing to me <laughs> you know it was kind of your a own space thing. no one's walking yeah. past it or sharing it with you exactly um <laughs> so it was that was kind of a, a transition for me is is uh not having the hands-on role anymore Mm -hmm. using my hands every day um and and sitting at a desk although with my um my policy work like like I mentioned I got to travel a lot which was a little different too you know I was getting to experience Mm -hmm. new areas of the world and and new cultures and and that brought in a whole different element as well so yeah completely Mm -hmm. different environment which to work from but one that I really really enjoy so what advice would you have for people who are um, maybe even grad students considering the postdoc, but who know or have an inkling at least that they don't really want to continue postdoc and and maybe go for a professor job. Um, yeah, I well, think so. If, I I would highly recommend that people reach out to um, uh, if they know anybody in fields in the policy fields or in the education field or or anything like that, um, to, to just sit down and have conversations with people as a starting point to understand what their job looks like, what do they do on a daily basis, and how is it different from, from being in a lab. Um, I think also exploring fellowships are so important because they are transitionary, and um, but they, like I said before, they give you that that in into right. into uh, or a leg up into that world that otherwise might be very difficult to break into without having um, a straight door open for you. Um, 
and and just to 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 start you know doing basic things like looking online you know what can you do with a phd trying to make those connections with people who work outside of academia and then looking at mm-hmm. other opportunities that you could potentially get some experience do in. you recommend that people try things on the side while they're in their phd program so that's that's a hard thing and i think that's something that a phd student <clears throat> would have to hopefully work closely with their PhD mm-hmm. advisor yeah. about um, because oftentimes you do want their support if you are going to go and do something completely different and that's going to be ta- potentially taking up your time in the lab. But yes, I would highly recommend looking at um, uh, fellowships that might offer you know, a summer fellowship somewhere that you could take in um, with approval of your, your PhD advisor to go and just get a taste of what that's like to see if that is something you would actually want to pursue maybe a little bit more after mm-hmm. your PhD. And I think this is a, a, a bigger question about um, about PhD programs, training students to enter all different types of fields rather than just research. So I think it's actually the responsibility of the PhD program to be allowing those types of experiences into the program itself so that students know that there is a whole range of possibilities out there than just a research bench. I think, yeah, that's so important. I was going to ask you about advice for people who may, so as an alternative, alt-ac, alternative academic career, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, but I'm curious if it's outdated or not. I mean, do you think it's still the case where people are being pushed for academia? Is it? Do you think it, the climate is more um, open for people not going into academia? I think it's slowly starting to change. I think it's still a very old school mentality. Did you have a lot. any pushback? I did. <laughs> I did uh, in my PhD program. Yes. yes. Um, I was in a very, very highly. Um, research-intensive institution where the expectation was that you remained in research. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a very difficult thing for me to navigate, especially once I started to realize that this was potentially not the area I wanted to go in. And I had to fight really hard for opportunities um, to, for example, teaching or or anything else besides that. Um, But I think slowly the culture might be changing because institutions are starting to realize that you know a lot of PhD students aren't going into academia because can't or can't go into academia not no space and we have to allow them opportunities to investigate what else is out there Mm -hmm. because um really it's it's their duty to to show to really make sure that the student is completely and utterly educated about about their opportunities and what yeah. they can do with that scientific background because it doesn't just mean a one-track career. Right, right. I, I completely agree. I've been questioning the training aspect of PhD programs yeah. a lot yeah. or critiquing because um, if you're going to say that you train people, you should have trained them. <laughs> right. Um, not just um, put them in a room and wait five years for them to have cooked up something good mm-hmm. I, I, com- I often compare it to like the songbirds so they listen to other people to other birds learn how to sing and if they don't have those birds they will still sing they will yeah. still make us um, the mating song but it's going to be really awkward and they won't really <laughs> make that well you know exactly. so, so it's not that graduates don't know aren't learn how to be good scientists 
without proper mentorship and training, mm-hmm. but they could be a lot better if right. you actually put the time and, the, you know, the structure into that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I do think it also depends on partly your your PhD advisor and how open-minded they are to that kind of thing. Yes. Like, so, for example, Chris, as our PhD and postdoc mm-hmm. advisor, um, him going out and, and actually experiencing a AAAS fellowship really, I think, mm-hmm. gives um, a lot of the his students and postdocs the leeway to be able to approach Chris and say, hey, you know, can you talk to me about this AAAS fellowship? Is it something that you would recommend I look into because I'm not, you know, potentially wanting to stay in academia? And so it makes a a much more approachable conversation than having a PhD advisor who is just expecting research as your ultimate career. Right, right. That's, That's so wonderful. It's so great to hear and um, I know we only talked about even like a few of the things that you do. You just do so many amazing things, and you have a wonderful job now. It's going well. I do. Thank you. Um, so I guess we'll we'll find a way to close. Um, okay. How do you like Alexandria? I it's love it. Such a wonderful it. town. I, I love it. Um, I I love the whole D.C. area, and Mm -hmm. and so we live just outside it, across the river in Alexandria, beautiful little place, and um, I love being in D.C. because it is really the, like, political hub of everything. There's so much um, energy and magnetism here because you know that all the big decisions are being done here, Mm -hmm. and it's... um, The the atmosphere is amazing, and it's really helped me in um, solidifying my... Uh, really my passion for wanting to make sure that science and politics kind of meld together in some capacity. And so I'm very excited to be here and have the opportunity to live here as well. Yeah, I think yeah. we're, I'm for one excited to see what you are able to do in the future. Oh, well, thank it's gonna you. It's going to be so exciting. Thank you so much. Is there any work that you have, any way people could follow you or look at some of the things you've done or your interests? Oh my goodness, well, um, I have a LinkedIn page. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so sad that you just reminded me that I have nothing. <laughs> um, but I would, you know, if there is anybody listening who uh, would like to get in contact, please do um, contact me on, on LinkedIn uh, because I am here uh, as a sounding board or if you would like any advice about the policy world, if that's something you're considering, I'm more than happy to, uh, to have a conversation about it. So. Awesome. Well, <laughs> um, this is our session of PhD. So this is Liz and Catherine, Dr. Catherine Young signing off. Uh, as usual, please follow our podcast on iTunes, um, rate, review, comment, all that stuff. And then also you can follow us on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter under the PhD List Podcast handle. See you next week.